You are listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. Though located in the heart of the Silicon Valley, you will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival preaching from the pulpit of North Valley Baptist Church. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. Joshua chapter number 11. In the book of Joshua, and the entire book of Joshua is actually complementary to the five books of Moses that precede this book. And you can see that there as the five books of Moses lead Israel up to Canaan. And then in the book of Joshua, Joshua leads the people into Canaan. And the book of Joshua is a book of entering the promised land, overcoming the adversity, and then staying and occupying the land, which actually is in bright contrast to the book of Numbers where there's failure in faith and they're afraid, so they fail to enter, they fail to overcome, and they fail to occupy. But in the book of Joshua, we have this amazing history of the, Canaan, uh, of the conquering of the land of Canaan. And we're here in the book of Joshua. In chapter number 11, we read of the second, and as it turned out, the last great coalition of the Canaanite nations that Joshua and the Lord's host had to face before they could take possession of their promised inheritance. See, news of Joshua's remarkable conquest of the south reached the ears of Jabin, the powerful king of the metropolis, Hazor, and the kings he assembled are listed as representing all parts of northern Palestine. And Joshua brought his battle-tried troops north to meet this formidable enemy. We find here in Joshua chapter number 11, we'll begin reading in verse number 1, if you would. The Bible says, And it came to pass when Jabin, king of Hazor, had heard those things, talking about the victories of the southern kingdom, had heard those things that he sent to Jobab, king of Madon, and to the king Shimron, and to the king Ashtaph, and to the kings that were on the north of the mountains, and the plains south of Chinneroth, and in the valley, and in the borders of Dor on the west, and to the Canaanite on the east, and on the west, and to the Amorite, and the Hittite, and the Perizzite, and the Jebusite, and the mountains, and to the Hivite under the Hermon, in the land Mizpah. And they went out, they and all their hosts with them, much people, even as the sand that is upon the seashore in multitude, with horses and chariots, very many. And when all these kings were met together, they came and pitched together at the waters of Miram to fight against Israel. And the Lord said unto Joshua, Be not afraid because of them, for tomorrow about this time will I deliver them up all slain before Israel. And thou shalt hew their horses and burn their chariots with fire. So Joshua came and all the people of war with him against them by the waters of Miram suddenly, and they fell upon them. And the Lord delivered them unto the hand of Israel who smote them and chased them unto the great Zidon and unto Mishrapoth Maim and unto the valley of Mizpah eastward. And they smote them until they left none remaining. The plan and the campaign of Joshua is very evident. As you can see, they cross over, Joshua and the people of Israel cross over the Jordan River, basically in the middle of the land of Canaan. And they attack Jericho first and after Jericho, Ai. And you can see that they drive a wedge between the northern kingdoms and the southern kingdoms. And after the conquering of Jericho and Ai, Joshua and the people go southward. You can read in chapter 10 of their conquest to the kingdoms of the south. And they just conquer all of the kingdoms. And then news of those conquerings and news of those victories came upon, as we heard here and we read in chapter number 11, the northern kingdoms. 
And so the northern kingdoms get together under the leadership of Jabin of Hazar, which was a metropolis. It was a large, a very, very large city. It would have been the largest city in the region. And so he gathers all of the kingdoms and all of the cities of northern Palestine, of northern Canaan, and they get together to face and to form the greatest army that the, Canaan, or the children of Israel would face up until this point. Historians tell us it might have been upward of 300,000 footmen, 20,000 chariots, and 10,000 horses. This would have been the greatest battle that the children of Israel had to face up until this point. It would have been larger than Jericho. It would have been harder than Ai. It was more than anything they had previously experienced. And they got together. Intertribal quarrels in the northern lands between the people of Canaan were shelved in the presence of the one common foe to all, Israel. Those who had, each other's, or who had been at each other's deadly enemies now made quickly common cause against this awe-inspiring invader. Military alliances were hastily struck and a united resistance was offered. This formidable coalition was greater than any previously faced into Israel. And it looks like there's just so many. This would have been the greatest force that Israel had to face. You know, can I say this today? There are a lot of forces of evil going against the work of God. The same king spiritually today are meeting in order to fight the Son of God and his children. The kings have almost always been against him. Not only literal kings, but kingdoms of influence, the kingdoms of society, the kingdoms of public and social influence. They are all against the will of God. And the enemies of Christ are very many in number. But it has never been about the number of enemies, but about the name for whom we fight. It doesn't matter the totaling of our enemies, because only looking at the physical will discourage us. We need to think about the Savior and the cause for which we live our lives. Galatians 2.20 says, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. As many as the sand upon the seashore and multitude are busily engaged in propagating evil. But not only are the enemies of Christ very numerous, but they are perfectly united. See, there's a common consent amongst them all. They hate the good. They are unanimous and their agreement is power. Though they sin in different ways so that the details seemingly have no relation to one another, yet there is an understood consistency among them all. There is a password of evil. They all hate and despise the work of God. And there is one common enemy between them all, one denominator, one shared adversity, which has threatened their existence. And today there is a league of forces which are set in array against Jesus Christ. If only they could eliminate this singular symbol, they might survive. And the church has always had its attackers, and they stand in unison against the people of God and the work of God. Can I say this? That their unity against the will of God puts Christians to shame. If churches, by and large, are not unified in their actions, in their fighting, in their going against evil, these evil forces. See, they're all going against the church. But the church is not unified. And I'm not saying we need some unity with people of different doctrines or people of different beliefs. But within our own church, we need to be a unified force facing this evil that we have in our present world. It's not time. There is neither time nor is there effort for quarrels among the children of God. We need to stand united as a church force and go against this evil of fraternity that battles against us. Our enemies are many. They are united, but they are also desperate. See, there are those within the shadow of even our own steeple that would rather have it torn down. 
who would rather rid themselves of any influence of the church. And they are desperate because they know the threat that the gospel has to their power and lives. We don't need to go to foreign distant lands or heathen nations to face controversy against the work of God. There is much hostility within the circle of our own interactions. We face this adversity in our own lives as the children of Israel face it here in chapter number 11. So then what is to be done? A dreary picture has been drawn. A horrible and a terrible outlook has been taken. What can be done in the face of such adversity? Our answer comes in verse number 6. The Bible says, And the Lord said unto Joshua, Be not afraid because of them, for tomorrow about this time will I deliver them up all slain before Israel. And thou shalt hew their horses and burn their chariots with fire. You know, it required the Lord's voice in a critical moment to ease the life of Joshua. You see, the hosts are gathering, and it feels like sometimes if God does not speak in our own life, the heart cannot go on any longer. The hosts are gathering, the kingdoms are forming, the armies are great. It feels like there's just enemies on every side. It feels like the force is just so great. But then God said, and the Lord said. You know, the Lord times his saints. When we are in most need of the Lord, he will come and he will speak and he will comfort. Our God recognizes our fear. And it is natural to have fear, but we should have faith in God also. Because the Lord will come and he will comfort us as he did to Joshua. He says, be not afraid because of them. And then he says, be not afraid because of them for tomorrow. And who can tell what will happen within one day? We must not be discouraged because at any one moment, the Christian's cause seems to be overwhelming. It seems hopeless. It seems as the task is too great. The challenge is too big. And but let me say something about tomorrow. Can I say something about tomorrow? God holds tomorrow in his hand. And the kingdoms who are so great today, and the forces who look so mighty today, and the armies who are so gleeful today, just think about tomorrow. God says, for tomorrow I will deliver them up all slain before Israel. God holds tomorrow in his hand. It may look so terrible today. It looks so bleak today. But God said there's no reason to doubt. God said there's no reason to dread. God said there's no reason to delay. For tomorrow I will deliver them up all slain. This is our path to victory, that we have faith in God. Great deeds are finished in a short time for God. Tomorrow about this time, there will not be a king found arrayed against the Son of God. Tomorrow about this time, I will have won the battle. Tomorrow about this time, you will have rest. Tomorrow about this time, the kingdoms you thought were so great will have fallen. Tomorrow about this time, the enemy will be slain. Tomorrow about this time, the trial will be over. Tomorrow about this time, the challenge will have ceased. Tomorrow about this time, I will be lifted up and glorified. God holds the future in his hand. And we don't need to be worried. We don't need to be chewing our fingernails or shaking our knees. For God holds tomorrow in his hand. And God says, tomorrow I will have them all slain and deliver them before Israel. The battles that we face are an opportunity for God to be honored and glorified through our faith. Verse number 7, the Bible says, so Joshua came. You know, Joshua wasn't waiting for the battle. He wasn't just sitting around on the defensive waiting for the armies to come and attack him. The Bible does not place the church of God on the defensive. The Bible does not say that we should just be sitting around in our seats. 
The Bible puts the church of God on the offensive. He says, for the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He says, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Romans 8, 37. We should be taking the battle to the enemy with a sling in our hand and God in our hearts, taking down the giants in our life because we know who holds tomorrow. And they were not on the defensive. They were not waiting around. Can I say this? The devil does not attack those who are doing nothing for God. The devil does not attack those who are just sitting around on the proverbial couch. And if we are doing something for God, there is going to be a battle. But we can be on the offensive because we know who holds tomorrow. And we know that God will slay, uh, deliver them up all slain before us. And we can go forward. We can conquer new lands. We should not be settled upon our past victories. The children of Israel had already conquered all of the southern lands. But they were not satisfied. And they were not settled. And they were not content. They wanted to go forward. They said, this is the biggest battle that we will face. But I know that God gave us the victories in the past. And I know that God can do it again. I'm going to go forward to the battle. I'm going to do more for God. There are more lands to conquer. There are more wars to win. There are more battles to win. And it's time for us to go forward to do something for God. We should be on the offensive. We should not just be waiting around. It is time to do more for God. We must go and to tell others. We must win the next battles. We must go and win the loss to Jesus Christ. Our, God is not done with our church just yet. There is more that he wants us to accomplish. So Joshua came to the battle. You know, it's not going to be an easy thing. There is going to be a battle. There's no doubt about it. But you know, victory is not found in compromise. It's been said before, victory is not found in compromise. Victory is not found in the neutral zone. Victory is not found in surrender. But victory is only found on the other side of the battle. Some have asked, where has the church gone? Where is the church in our city? Where is the church in our nation? Even in our own city of Santa Clara, last week we had a substitute mayor for two days. A pop rock star who's doing nothing for God. She had, produces no morality. She produces no holiness. She was not winning the loss to Jesus Christ, and yet she gets promoted. She may be doing great things for the economy, but hey, that's not going to settle with me. I don't want a substitute mayor who's a pop rock star who's doing all of these things for the world. I'm not going to be settled with that. Where has the effect of the church gone in America? Where is the fighting and the standing and the holding fast to the commission that we got from God to go and to conquer the land like he said he would deliver them into our hands, like our church has done for 40 years it's not time to coast and it's not time to rest and it's not time to enjoy the victories of the past God has given us great victories and I know that I'm young and I know that I have a lot of life ahead of me but let me tell you this no matter from the children to the senior saying God does not want us to sit down God does not want to enjoy uh, have us enjoy our padded pews or our beautiful buildings it's time to do more for God it's not time to stop and it's not time to cease it's time to go and to claim the new land and it's time to conquer those new armies there is more more land to conquer. There is still more church, more to do in our church. We hear about these church planners that are coming to the Bay Area. And I'm thankful for every church planner coming to the Bay Area. The Bay Area consists of nearly 8 million people. We need more churches. Well, can I say this? I don't want the church planner looking at Santa Clara. Is that okay to say? I don't want the church planner looking at Santa. I don't want the church planner to move in next door. I don't want him to look at Milpitas or Sunnyvale yep. or San Jose or all the cities of Campbell and our surrounding cities of our church. I want those church planners. And like I said, we do need more church planners. But I want them to look at Santa Clara and I want them to say, there's already a people doing something great for God. There's already a people that are conquering more land. There's a people there who are having an effect in their city. There's a people there who are already winning the loss to Jesus Christ. I think I'm needed elsewhere. 
I think I'm needed in another area. And you know, I counted a personal failure for me. If the church planner moves in next door, I asked myself, what more could I have done? What could I, was I not reaching enough people? Was I not having the biggest effects on our city that I could have had? Was there more that I could be doing? I want them to look at Santa Clara and I want them to see North Valley Baptist Church and I want them to see a people doing something great for God. I want him seeing that we have an effect on our city and in our area. The church planners come and we do need more. I want to come again. We do need more church planners and we need more good churches in our area. I hear sometimes that where do the young preachers go? Where are the young preachers? Where are the new recruits? Where are the people that are coming up? Where are the people? And we do need more people. And we do need new recruits. And we need more people added to the workforce. But can I ask this? Where's the longevity? Where are the people that held that spot? Why is that spot open? Where did that person go? Out of our 22 bus routes that this church runs, only three bus captains are over the over the age of 40. We have a lot of young people in the workforce. Yeah, we, do. we have people that are coming behind. We have people that are coming up. We have people that are doing great works for God. But somewhere along the line, their longevity gets compromised. Come on. And somewhere along the line, somehow they drop out, whether it be for fear, whether it be for just a, 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 just a tiredness. And it is work. And I'm not criticizing our church. We have the best church. We have the best people. But I want to encourage us. It's not time to drop out. And it's not time to give up your spot to the next recruit. Have him go start his own ministry. Have him go start his own bus route. Have them start their own Sunday school class. Have them go do something that they can do a work for God. But it's time to stay with it. It's not time to stop. And it's not time to coast. See, Joshua came to the battle. He knew what needed to be done. Then the Bible says in verse number 7, So Joshua came and all the people of war with him. You know, we have to go back to verse number 6 to check this. But it looks like God didn't go to the people and say, Be not afraid. God only appeared before Joshua and comforted Joshua. I can imagine the people of Israel being a little bit anxious. Being a little bit fearful. Being a little bit wondering of curiosity, why are we going to face this giant battle? I can see them having a little bit of fear. But I can say this, that when Joshua said, be not afraid for God has delivered them up, they knew that God had done it before and that God could do it again. It was not a large leap for them to believe Joshua. And I want to say this, that the people of war came with him. Can I say this also, that leadership is a good thing. Having a leader is a good thing. You know, for our church, Christ has ordained one person to be accountable for our local assembly of believers. God has ordained one. God's not kind of going to come before each and every single one of us and tell us the direction of our church. That's not how God operates. Now, God will speak to you. Because we each have access to God and God will direct you and he will even give you a spiritual vision. What more could be done in your area of service? But when it comes to the church, the direction of the church, God speaks to one person. And it's okay to have a leader. And it's okay to follow that leader. God does speak to each of us, but it's okay to have a leader. God spoke to Joshua and the people went with him. They followed God's chosen man into battle. And then verse number eight. 
The Bible says, And the Lord delivered them up into the hand of Israel. Uh, I'm sorry, verse number eight. And the Lord delivered them into the hand of Israel who smote them and chased them unto great Zidon. As we have been reminded several times in the past weeks, God always comes through on his promises. Verse number six, he promises that he'll deliver. And in verse number eight, lo and behold, he delivers. The most formidable coalitions were no match for that supernatural power which operated through Israel. Down they went, one after another, cities, kingdoms, giants, confederacies, until it could be written at the end of the chapter in verse number 23. So Joshua took the whole land according to all that the Lord had said unto Moses, and Joshua gave it for inheritance unto Israel according to their divisions by their tribes. Twelve separate times in the book of Joshua, God says, I'll deliver them into your hand. And 12 separate times in the 24 books, God delivers them again into their hands. God's word has been tested and proven. He has kept every promise he made. And it, it, even when Joshua, in chapter number one, God says, go over the Jordan and take the land. And, God, and Joshua obeys. And Joshua has faith. And God delivers. And God comes through on his promises. The victories of Joshua illustrate the Christian's triumph over the adversary. Hosts of evil who acting under the leadership of Satan, the prince of this world, wants to hinder believers from possessing the faith which God has them in Christ Jesus. But through faith, they were obedient to the promises of God and found that the enemy had once again been delivered into their hand. We all go through battles in life, but we do not have to go through battles facing it alone. We do not have to go through battles with worry. We do not have to go through battles with unease or uncertainty or unrest. For God has said that he will deliver them up all slain before us, and God gives us the victory. Church, I've read the back of the book, and we win. We win. Hallelujah, we win. God will deliver us. It is faith that we hold on to the assured deliverance of God. And it may be the biggest battle we face, and it may be the largest force that we fought, but we don't have to wonder or worry because God has promised us the victory. And we can hold to and claim that victory on the deliverance over evil. It was by faith that the cities that came before fell. How could they expect anything less than faith to do it in this battle again? And for it, it is by faith that God has given us victories in this church. How can we expect it to take anything less to go on and to do greater victories for God in the future? I'll say this last thing and then I'll close. I'll be quick today. And I've said this before, but it's on my heart and it has burdened my heart for some time. Sometimes I get a little bit tired. And sometimes I get a little bit weary. And I even get, if I can say, a little bit irritated. I get a little bit tired about hearing how God did something great in the previous generation. I get tired hearing about how God used churches, this church and churches around the nation, to do something great for him. A glorious people that God had raised up. And I am thankful that God did do something in those churches. That is my heritage. That is my history. If this church had not been here in Santa Clara, California, I, have no, I, I don't even know if I would be born. My dad, as pastor said, lived on Clyde Avenue right across the street from the Clyde Avenue building back in the 80s. And his roommate invited him to church. So my dad came to church, got saved, met my mom, was married in this church. All four of, our, uh, all four of our, their children were born to this church and are still in this church, serving in this church. And my parents are serving in this church. My grandparents are serving in this church. My other family are serving in this church. And I am thankful that God has used this church and churches around the country to do something great in the previous generation. I hear about the people that came on the buses by the thousands and the tens of thousands. 
how the conferences were filled, how God did something great, how the church had such influence and such ability over the nation, literally the nation of America, how God did something that was so great through his people. And you know what? I get a little bit tired. I get a little bit irritated by it because it moves me and it motivates me and it makes me want to do more for God. You see, the society may have changed, the culture may have changed, but our God has not changed. And he is still capable of doing great works if there's a people who want to go forward for him, who want to do more for him, who want to conquer more lands, who want to build more buildings, who want to have an effect on their city, who want to win the loss to Jesus Christ, and there is more to do. Our job is not done. There is still a thing to be, there is still work for our church to do. If there was not a work for our church, if God was done using it in our church, here's my advice. If God was done through our church, here's my advice. Let's all sell our houses and go live somewhere else and live great lives. But you know what? God's not done with our church. And there's something more to do. And it moves me because you know what? The next generation is coming also. But you know what? For me personally, and I remember being on Clyde Avenue and I remember meeting in the auditorium. I remember moving from that auditorium to this auditorium in 2006. And I remember God doing great things through our church. But you know what? I don't want to hear the stories from my parents, my grandparents. And I'm thankful for those stories. But I don't want to hear those stories from my parents and grandparents. I want to have stories of my own. I want God to do something great now. And I want God to do a work now. And I want God to fill the bus routes now. And I want God to fill the Sunday school now. And I say, why can't God do it now if there's a people who are willing to go to battle for him? See, there is more land to liberate. And there are more wars to win. And there are more victories to obtain. And there is more to do. It's not time to stop. And it's not time to cease. And it's not time to give up. And it's not time to rest. And it's not time to coast. And it's not time to have a great time in the life of the Christian life. And I'm going to retire. It's not time to do any of that. It's time to do more for God, and it's time to do more for God, and it's time to do more for God. Our job is not done with our, God is not done with our church, and if it were up to me, I'd say, let's go to conquer more lands. i say, when the pastor has this vision for somebody to buy this building, somebody just go buy the building. There is more things to be done for our church. It's not time to stop, and it's not time to slow down. It's time to do more, and there's more battles to win. God has promised us already the deliverance. If we have faith in him, and by faith, we can do more. It was encouraging this year. This this year in 2023, when they said it could not be done, that we had the highest attendance ever in the history of North Valley Baptist Church in Easter. It encourages me. And I say, let's do it again. I say, I'm not satisfied with that. I want to go and conquer more. I want to do more. And I want more victories. And I want to have more stories. And I want to conquer more land. And I need people. And God needs the people who are willing to raise up and to rise up and to have faith in him to conquer more lands and have faith in God. It's not time to do more. It's time to do more. It's not time to do less. God has more for our church to do. There is more to be done. Our job is not done. As the people of Israel faced their biggest battle, they had faith in God. And God delivered them up all slain. If only there were people in the year 2023 who say it may be the biggest battle we face. There's so many. There's just so many. They seem like on every side, the enemy surrounds. It just, there's so many. They're all united. They all hate the church. They all hate the work of God. They all are so de uh, desperate. They all are so determined. But it doesn't matter to God because God can deliver them up all slain tomorrow. And tomorrow, may our church be willing to do more for God. 
God will deliver them up all slain if we just have faith in him, are willing to go to the battle. And it's not time to give up. And it's not time to rest. There's more to do. There's more to get accomplished. We should not be settled on the past victories of the past. We cannot be content with just what we've done and what God has used us to accomplish in the past. There is more to do in the coming days. And God has promised us the victory. Perhaps you're in your area of service. Perhaps you've thought about stopping. Perhaps you thought maybe it's time for me to give it over to somebody else. Can I encourage you just to keep on going? Perhaps you're wondering, what can I do? There is an area of service for you. There is a job for each and every single one of us to do in the work of God. Get in your area of service and have faith that God will deliver us to victory. With faith, God can use the North Valley Baptist Church to do more for him in the coming days. There are plenty of churches across America who had beautiful buildings that sit empty. There are plenty of groups of people who did a great work for God who had great and mighty and wonderful victories. I don't want to be one of those churches where the church building sits empty. I don't want to be a church who said their best days were behind them. God did something great for them in the past. I want to do something great for God now. Thank you for listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. For more information about our ministry or to find out how to get in contact with us, visit our website at nvbc.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.